This is the Way Family Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to hear God's Word. We invite you to join us in person Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at Lawford Middle School here in Tucson, Arizona. We hope to see you soon. I'm going to invite you to open to James. Continue our study. We started last week. And just a quick recap. Last week we looked into uh, turning trials into triumph. We saw that trials are something to rejoice about, even though sometimes it doesn't make sense to do because they don't feel good at times, right? Nevertheless, there are for our good and for God's glory. And so we learned that God uh, does allow us to go through trials for the sake of developing us, maturing us, that we would develop patience and just be able to generally uh, do well, you know, when times get tough. After all, he wants us to mature and he wants us to be able to face these things in a way that's righteous and good, in a way that exemplifies him for who he is. Amen? And so we talked about these trials being something more circumstantial, something like from the outside, situations that happen and we have to respond to them. Uh, Sometimes uh, trials come out of the blue, right? And we're not sure exactly where they come from, but nevertheless, we shouldn't be surprised that this is the case. And so we, we have an opportunity to deal with them. And I know that God provides those situations for us to be able to grow and to mature. But then we briefly mentioned, I briefly mentioned the trials within. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So James does come, uh, come, in, come in and continues to talk about these trials. But this time, temptation in the form of temptation. So that's what we're going to do today. And the way that, uh, that James, in my opinion, presents this is pretty much uh, the way I kind of see, well... Maybe this is a really bad analogy, so forgive me, but try to, try to understand me here. <laughs> kind of like the way I see a football game. I'm a, I'm a big football guy. I really love the game of football. To me, it's important for a team to be strong, for a team to be complete. It's got to have a good defense, and it's got to have a good offense. If it has a good defense, great, you know, but without the offense, you can't score points, etc. And so when it comes to trials, just the way I'm seeing it is like, we got to have a good defense and we also got to have a good offense. And I believe that James is giving us something to that extent. And so I want to introduce you to what he's saying here. Uh, We'll dive into it. Uh, I'm going to tell you a secret that you might not want to hear. I kind of ran through this sermon last night and I timed myself and it took me an hour to get through it. (laughs) There's a lot here, but I promise I won't keep you that long. It's just so much, and and this is going to have to be one of those that you go back, revisit, and study on your own. This is really good small group study material, okay? But I'll give you more of an overview of what James is saying here. And so with that, uh, let's go to uh, James chapter 1. We're going to just focus in verse 13 through 18 today. And it says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here together, Lord Jesus, and just receive from you. 
And to this time, we ask that you would open up our hearts and minds, Lord Jesus, that we would not just be hearers, but that would be well-equipped, Father, to do what you've called us to do, to represent you well. And so this time, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would build us, Father, that you would encourage us, that you would correct us, that you would make us more like you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Now, I was thinking about just James in general last night, and I was think, you know, just reading the, the letter and um, reading the other things that we find from James throughout the Bible, like in Galatians and Acts and other little portions. And I had this like light bulb moment in my head. And so excitingly, I, I go to Sandy and I tell her, hey, Sandy, did you, did you notice that James like really practical? And she's like, yeah, duh, right? Like, that's a little bit like, no, no, no. If James had a degree and he had a doctorate somewhere, let's say, if he specialized in something, let's say, I want to say that he did Christian living. Like this guy is a professional when it comes to living a Christian life. Everything that he says is about how we, sh- we ought to live in a way that exemplifies Christ, that represents Christ well. And then my mind is just, you know when you have those moments where something just kind of clicks differently, right? And I'm thinking everything that James says has to do with how we ought to behave, how we ought to live, you know. This guy is a professional Christian. <laughs> you know, I'm just kind of processing uh, in my mind. And she's like, yeah, you know, I'm thinking, well, how come I didn't see this before in this way, right? And then I got to thinking, well, this is interesting. This is James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. This means that they walked together several years. They, they, they knew each other very well, you know, and I'm thinking, it's very possible and very likely, Jesus being who he is, that he discipled this man, all right, as he was growing up. And I thought about my kids. Our oldest son is constantly training up our youngers. You know, anytime he's around, he's telling them what to do. He's telling them what not to do. He's correcting them. He's like, he, he, he'll say it to us, I helped, you, I helped you raise the kids, you know. Like he's that um, uh, confident in what and how, uh, how he invests in the others, right? And so I'm thinking Jesus probably was like that. This is me processing and thinking, right? Jesus probably walked with James in a way where he exemplified Christian living very well, you know. And so that's that. This is why I'm thinking that James James was probably the most discipled guy, you know, of the of the twelve. And then there's James. I think, man, it makes sense that James would really know a thing or two because he lived with Christ. He saw Christ exemplify a good, holy life, right? And so anyway, that was just something, the light bulb that went off. This is totally like just me excited to share that with you, okay? <laughs> but anyway, we have that. We have this, this, um, this instruction from James, you know, and how to deal with temptations. And so the first question that I had going into this is, why did James connect the two? You know, the trials on the outside, temptations on the inside, we're talking about testing, and now we're talking about trials. Well, he did connect the two, and I think that it it makes sense because if we don't deal with the trials without, let's say, the the circumstantial uh, testings that we go through, um, then if we don't deal with those accordingly, according to God's word, then they can turn into temptation. Because remember, trials is for the sake of maturing us, building up patience and all these virtues that God has, you know, in, uh, to, to, to kind of blossom within us, let's say. Uh, but if we don't deal with these temp- trials correctly, then they could turn into temptations because our natural instinct is to kind of cop, cop out of difficult circumstances. Does that make sense? And so because we don't want to go through the trial, we don't want to go through the hard times, we try to conceive ways, we try to really think of ways on how we can cut corners. And don't tell me you don't do that. 
Because I think we all do to a point. We all want to get to the good stuff sooner than later. Right. And so I think that that's the correlation that we have here. And uh, if we're not careful, then these testings on the outside is very, very much turn into temptations. And if we don't know how to deal with temptations, then uh, these circumstances could get a lot difficult. And then we'll see what James says here in which it results in. And so uh, this this opportunity, let's call it, called temptation, it's what it is. You think about it. What are we usually tempted towards? We're usually tempted towards something that is, generally speaking, good, or at least we conceive it to be good. We think, you know, food is good, right? Uh, we think that resting is good. We think, but sometimes we're tempted to do things that are very unhealthy, right? We're tempted to overeat. We're tempted to overrest. <laughs> we're tempted to do things um, that essentially offer us a faster route to what we think is good for us at the moment. And so James talks about this. And the first thing he says here uh, is found in verse uh, 13. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. I think the first thing that we need to acknowledge here is that we have the tendency to blame others. Anytime something wrong happens in life, what is the first thing we do instinctively? We look for someone to blame. Consider Adam and Eve, the fall of man, right? What does Adam say? It was the woman that you gave me, Lord. So who is he blaming? Well, he's actually blaming God for giving him the woman. You know, and so that's just a natural instinct that we have to blame it on. We don't want to take that responsibility. And so sometimes we think, God, how could you? God, how could you do this to me? Why would you allow such terrible or let's say uh, difficult circumstances in my life? James is making it clear here. God does not tempt. Do not say that you are being tempted by God because God cannot be tempted with evil. Think about it. God is good. He's holy. He's perfect. He has everything that he needs. <laughs> He needs nothing. He is totally perfect and complete. He cannot be tempted. And he, can, he will not tempt you because his desire is for, for you not to fall into sin, not to fall into destruction, not to, to, to die spiritually, right? His desire is not for that. Why would God tempt you for the very thing that he hates? It is completely out of his character. God hates sin. It is sin that put him on the cross. There is no way that he is going to entice you to sin. That's, that's what this is saying. So do not say that God is tempting you. And I know that this is important for us to hear because we do that. We sometimes think that God's being mean to us, right? God cannot be tempted and therefore he will not tempt us with evil. And he himself tempts no one. Verse 14 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And so he, this is where uh, uh, James gets really practical. And this is the defense part, okay, of the message that we got here. So we're, we're trying to build up a good defense and offense. I think this is the defensive part that James is talking, talking about. And what he's doing is he's giving us a process that leads to sin. Because sin doesn't happen just in the moment. There's actually a process that we go through that leads to sin. OK, and uh, what he's doing is he's giving us these stages that that we can notice, that we can be aware of so that we can respond accordingly. Amen. And so the first thing that he says here, the first stage of this process that leads to sin is. Um, uh, excuse me, guys, I am. It's, it's desire. OK, look at verse 14. 
It says this, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. It is our own desire that <laughs> provokes that temptation. Our desire to get where we want to get. Our desire to have what we want to have. The desire for the good that we think we need, right? Or that we know we need, let's say. All right, it is that desire that really starts the whole process of temptation that leads eventually to death. Okay, so that's the first edge. It says that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That word desire can also be translated to lust. And that's any kind of desire. Not just lust for a person, but lust for anything that you think, oh, I gotta have this. All right, and this is not to say that all desire is bad. Let's make that clear. God has given us normal desires of life and they themselves are not sinful. It's when we do sinful things to accomplish those desires or to fulfill those desires. That's when it becomes a problem. I'll give you an example. Unless we feel hunger, that's a desire, desire to eat, right? Or unless we feel thirst, we won't eat, we won't drink. And that is a very big problem if we don't do that for our bodies, right? In fact, I know someone who lacks a desire to eat and drink, forgets to eat and drink a lot, and then there's health issues that come with that, right? If we don't have a desire to rest, if we don't have a, a, that feeling of fatigue, then when will we take the time to actually take a breather and rest our bodies? So these are good desires, right? And I also know someone who doesn't like to rest, doesn't feel that desire to rest, and now they're dealing with a lot of physical pain. And so these are good things that the Lord has given us, and they're good, they're good because we need this, right? We need to eat, we need to rest. And so not all desire is bad. Not all desire is designed, right, to kill us or to, to deceive us in that regard. But we ourselves kind of take that desire to the next level. We think that we need more than we ought to have sometimes, and that's when the problem can begin. So we really need to check that desire. We need to really check the desire that, uh, um, that we're trying to uh, fulfill, amen? And so another one is uh, just the desire to, to have relationship with another human being. You know, that's a good thing. If we don't have that, we don't multiply, right? We don't have the future ahead. And so, but there's a very, very specific way to do that. And there's a right way and there's a wrong way. For example, let me show you Hebrews 13, four. It says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. All right. So the desires to be with someone, it's not terrible as long as is it within God's will and order. Otherwise he does bring judgment into that. And I think it's safe to say that many tried to fulfill that desire outside of God's order. And so that's that desire that leads to temptation. Temptation leads to uh, potential destruction, death and destruction. Okay, but um, let's not think that we have to suppress the desire. So um, a few years ago when I was in college, I, I had some really big questions about other religions, right? And so I explored other religions and I wanted to find out more about them. And one of the things that I looked into was uh, Buddhism and Hinduism. I just really wanted to know, what is it that you guys believe? And one big thing that they believe is the need to suppress every desire, you know? Like for them, it's important to not want, need anything. I don't think that that's what God is saying, that we need to suppress everything because desires is the actual thing. It's like the steam in the engine. It keeps us going, right? Without it, we 
We do nothing. For example, if, if I didn't have a desire to be here today, I wouldn't prepare anything and not be here today. It's those desires that keep us moving forward, but they need to be under control. And these, this, it's like that steam in the engine. It, it needs to go where it needs to go to keep the wheels functioning. The moment they get out of control, we have chaos and destruction. All right, so think of the desires in that sense. All right, uh, but if you take it all to no desire, let's say no steam, you got no power. We have no motivation to do what we're being called to do or what we need to do as people. The next thing uh, that James points out is deception. Again, look at verse uh, 14. It says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. Lured and enticed. When he is lured, those temptations appeared to be good, let's say. All right. To be lured and enticed, those are words that a hunter and a fisherman would understand very clearly. That word lure is to draw away. Have you seen those National Geographic uh, shows? There's those guys who like to live in Alaska where it's super cold and they have to like hunt all their food and do the things, you know? Not these guys. These guys had a city town. They, they could go to the grocery store. No, you had like, they, you, they show you how they, they set up their snares and they set up their traps. And in order for them to work, they have to put some kind of bait in them to entice the prey into the trap. Otherwise, what prey is just going to bite a hook, a naked hook? It's not. What, what animal is just going to walk into a trap? They don't. You have to entice them. You have to make it welcoming in a sense. You have to make it doable. I remember seeing um, uh, a guy set up snares and snares don't necessarily have, have bait on them. But what he did is he set up a little path. He made it like a very welcoming little trail, you know, so that the creatures would have to go through this snare. And so this is the deception that we need to look out for. You know, same thing with fishing. We have to put a worm in the little in the hook. Otherwise, we won't catch anything. When the animal, though, the prey sees that, they see something very enticing, something very luring, right? And the last thing that they're thinking about is the consequence of biting the worm, let's say, right? That's the, that's the function of deception, is to keep you from seeing the consequences of the action, <laughs> the action that you're being enticed by. So David is a good example of this. David looked at his neighbor's wife. Do you remember that episode in 2 Samuel? He's, he's in his palace. He's not even supposed to be there, actually, you know? wrong place at the wrong time. He looks at his neighbor's uh, wife, and I bet you this, he probably would not have committed the, act, the, the sin of adultery if he would have really thought at the consequence that would, would, would come after, you know, going or uh, uh, following through with this deception, this desire for this lady, right? If he would have thought that, hey, my son is going to die because of my sin, he probably wouldn't have done this. If he would have thought, hey, my friend, my comrade, this person's husband is going to have to be murdered because of this, he probably wouldn't have done that. The problem is we are covered. Our eyes are blinded by these things. This is the deception. You know, Satan is a professional deceiver. This is what he does. This is his specialty. What he is trying to do is keep us from seeing the potential destruction, the outcome that is devastating, that leads to sin, and he wants us to take the bait. And so James says, be careful with that, right? Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God, and each person's tempted when he is lured and enticed. In other words, when he is deceived by his own desire, all right? And then we can keep going, and that's the third stage, and that's disobedience, and he says, 
in verse 15, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. All right, let's recap really quick. There's desire. Desire, think about it, is a heart issue. It's emotion. It's what we want, what we feel that we need. Then there's the deception. That's a brain block, the inability to see the consequence that's behind this deception. And now there's disobedience. So it goes from here to here to hands. Now I'm actually going to do the thing that I need to do to get what I want. All right. At that moment, the language changes from Hunter Fisher to childbirth. You see that? James changes the languages a little bit there. The picture goes from uh, trying to catch prey to conceiving a baby. You've heard it said, where there's a will, there's a way, yes? How many of you guys really understand that? I do. When I really want something, trust me, I will find a way to be able to accomplish what I, what I, what I want or what I need. In fact, my wife knows this about me, and she says, do you not want it enough? Why aren't you doing anything about whatever it is that I need to do? You know what I mean? Because when we do need something, when we do want something, we will find a way to get it done. That's what happens. And so when we are enticed enough, when we are deceived enough, let's say, or when we are ignorant enough to see the, con- the potential consequence that's behind the lure, behind the trap, then we act on it. And the moment that we act on it, we conceive sin. It's like moment you act on it, that's when a child can be conceived. Let's say, and what happens with a, a child? It grows. It grows and it gets bigger and bigger. Same thing, sin. It grows and it gets bigger and bigger, and now we have a problem, right? And so this is the act of disobedience, is from taking it from the mind, or the heart, the mind, and then putting it into action. And so we need to be aware of the process if we can, you know, and I think that James is being gracious with the church and he's giving him tools and equipment to be able to see the things, to be able to defend ourselves, you know, um, uh, from the schemes of the devil, let's say. And then it says, then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. And that's the final stage of, um, of the process of temptation is death. And so that's why we need to be careful with temptation because the wages of sin is, it is what is due to us. You know, when we sin, when we act on our sin, then we are owed death. And so I hope that this is helpful, but here's the thing though. It is not God's desire that we would perish. Absolutely not. He, want, he does not want his people to go through these, uh, uh, let's say temptations or well, actually, I think he's perfectly fine for us going through temptations. It's, he doesn't want us to fall victim to it. He doesn't want us to, to take the, the bait. Look at what Ezekiel 18.23 says. Have I any pleasure in death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? Yeah, absolutely. God has made a way for us to succumb to that, to, for us to not fall into temptation. He has made a way. And I think what I see here is that the, the, first, the first way that he makes is a preventative. That's this defense. And the preventative is his word. If we know his word, you know, if you think of how Jesus was tempted, he responded with, it, it is written. You know, and if we know these warnings that are given to us through the Bible, then we can prevent falling into temptation. That's the first way out of it. And the second one is redemptive after we've fallen into temptation, after we've seen what we do. And the, 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 the answer to that is Christ. So that means that there's only one way, actually, and that's Jesus. Because Jesus is the Word, 
right? And it's through Jesus that we're restored or redeemed from the fall of sin. And so God, I think, is just so gracious and merciful in giving us a way out of these circumstances so we cannot say, I'm done, I'm trapped, I'm hopeless, right? No, he gives us an answer. And this is the next part. You know, there's these four stages, but then, um, uh, uh, but then James turns it around to the goodness of God. And, and this is the next thing I want to show you. The goodness is God. The fact that God is so good. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good gift comes from above. That is amazing. It is important to, for us to know the truth about God, because sometimes, as I mentioned earlier, it is so easy for us to say, God hates me. God is so mean that he has caused me to sin. You know, we do that ignorantly sometimes. But the fact of the matter is that God is good. He will not tempt us. He gives perfect gifts. He gives good gifts. That means that everything in this world that comes from God is good. Everything or everything good that, that, that in this world that, that, um, that we have comes from God. And if it, it's not good, if it's, it's probably not from God. Good is not defined by good pleasure, by the way. You know, we think that a good gift is something that we will enjoy, that we find to be pleasurable good. No, sometimes good is something that hurts. I'll give you an example. Paul complained about a sign in his thorn. He, he, he mentioned it as if though this was a gift. This was, a, this was God's gift to Paul, that thorn on his side. Why? You know, and Paul does mention, he talks about, he says, to keep him from being conceited, to keep him humble. You know, this was a gift that God gave him, <laughs> a thorn, a pain on his side. And so God does give good gifts and he gives perfect gifts, complete gifts. And I think that's important for us to recognize and to know it so that when we're tempted, we can trust that God gives us what we need, when we need it, and he gives us what we need in the, in the right amount that we need it. And he does not miss anything. And sometimes we are tempted to think God missed it. God didn't provide what I needed. Maybe he knew, but he didn't do it. No, 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 no. He doesn't work that way. He gives us what we need, when we need it, and what he gives us is good. Amen? Um, look at Philippians 4.19. It says this, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So, what else should we know about God's goodness? Well, we know that it is good. His gifts are good. They're complete. And then look at verse 17. It says, it is from above coming down from the Father of lights. Coming, that word coming down, that's present participle. It means that it currently is coming down. So God, God gives constantly. That's important for us to know. Right now, God is giving us what we need. I mean, just take a deep breath. That came from God, right? That is his presence constantly within us, right? He's constantly giving us what we need, not what we think we need, what we actually need, because he's perfect, he's holy, he knows exactly what we need, and it's happening right now, so he gives constantly. If we know this, we can trust him when we face temptations, when we face these things that we think we need, we want right in the moment, we can trust, hey, hey, I have what I need right now. If I don't have what I want, God knows why, and I can trust that. The better we do at that, the better we are at overcoming these temptations. And so uh, th this, is, this is so good for us. He doesn't give occasionally. He gives always. 
always, he's constantly bringing to us or giving to us exactly every need that we have. And I can tell you so many stories about when I've had a need and out of the blue, there it is. And I thought I needed it sooner, you know, but God provided right when I needed. And so we can trust that 100%. It says it right here in the Bible. The other thing that we need to understand about the, God, the goodness of God is that he doesn't change. Um, let's keep reading here. It says, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God does not change. There are no shadows with the Father of lights, meaning there are no change. There's, it's like seeing the shadow from the sun, the sun's shadow. There's no such thing because it's always burning bright, right? There is no change with God. That means that he will not change his mind to say, oh, you know, I'm not going to give you what you need. I'm all of a sudden not going to be perfect. I'm all of a sudden not going to be complete. No, he doesn't change. He's consistent in that. We can definitely bank that, count on that. So we really should never question God's goodness because he's an unchanging God. We shouldn't question his love. We shouldn't blame him when we are tempted. You know, I think that if King David had remembered the goodness of God, he would not have taken Bathsheba and he would not have committed these terrible sins if he remembered the goodness of God in that moment. What he felt was that he needed something, right? That was definitely beside what he actually needed. If he remembered the fact that God is good and gracious and generous to him, I think he would have thought twice. At least that's, that's what Nathan says. Uh, Nathan told David this in 2 Samuel 12, 7 through 8. Nathan says this, the word of the Lord comes to him and he shares this with David. He says, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would have added to you as much more. In other words, look, look, look at how much David received from God. He received an anointing. He, re- he, was, he received salvation, the deliverance from his enemy, right? He received his master's house. He was given, even his wives, his master's wives, he was given the house of Israel. He was given two nations, Israel and, New- and Judah, essentially. Like everything that David needed and more was given to him. And then he says, and if, and if that still wasn't enough, I would have given more to you. Nathan tells David the word of the Lord through Nathan. In other words, You did not need to go and get the thing that wasn't yours. Everything that you have is what you need right now. You can trust the Lord in that. And if there's any need of yours, God will supply it in his timing, in his perfection, in his goodness. And if we know that, and if we understand that, and if we hold dear to that, these temptations won't matter the way that they do when we feel like we really got to have it. If we can trust the Lord that we're going to get it when we need it, we will be able to overcome these trials of temptation. Amen? And so I want to just end with uh, uh, verse 18 here. Verse 18 says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits, first fruits of his creatures. Now here's the thing that's very important to understand. The fact of the matter is that we can't do this by our own means. We really don't have the strength to overcome trial and temptation, let's say. We are always going to be enticed. We're always going to be lured, right? But it says that it is God's divine power that brings us forth. It, 
It's his power that brings us from glory to glory. It is the Holy Spirit in us. When, in us. when we're born again, we have this, this new nature, right? This new birth that happens within us. This is that divine nature that helps us to accomplish these things that are so hard to do in the fallen nature that we have. All right. This new nature comes from God. It is his strength in us. All right. It is the, the, the very thing that is going to remind us of God's goodness. The very thing that's going to make this process of temptation that goes from desire to death. It, it'll really stick them out so that we can play defense when we need to play defense. And that we can be reminded of God's word to be able to overcome the lies, the deceit, the deception that Satan presents to us. It is that Holy Spirit power in us. That makes that possible, not by our own strength. I, I think that is absolutely far-fetched to think that you could do it. Uh, it's absolutely unrealistic. You just can't. There's no way that we could overcome um, in, in that matter without the Holy Spirit in us. So it's kind of like this. We have this old nature. We have this new nature. Right? I heard this somewhere and I thought, okay, this kind of helps understand, makes the point a little bit. Old nature being like Adam. He's the one who sinned, right? Who fell. And with the new nature being Jesus, you know, when, when temptation knocks on the door, who are you going to send? Adam or Jesus? Well, if you send Adam, he's going to sin, <laughs> right? That's the old nature. If you send Jesus, he always wins. Satan tried this. He tried to tempt Jesus, and Jesus answered with, it is written with the word of God, with the knowledge of God, with the power of God. Amen? And so I want to just give you these, these takeaways, just a couple of takeaways today. And the first one is, it's just so important to recognize the process that leads to sin. Know the process. You know, it starts with desire. Then there's deception. And then there's disobedience. And that leads to death. Right? It's so important to recognize this process. And we are only able to recognize it if we have the Holy Spirit leading us, if we have the Word of God in our hearts, if we're spending time with the Lord, if we're abiding in His Word, then these things stick out. If we're not, we're far from it. We don't even realize that we're being tempted. We think that we're just going through life, right? But recognize that there is a process. That's the defense there, that we can, we can play against this, the schemes of the devil. And then takeaway number two, remember that God is good. So if we're reading here, not only will we recognize the schemes, right, or the process, but we also remember that God is good and he's perfect and he's loving and he's kind and he's compassionate. He's abounding in steadfast love, right? If we know that, then we can trust him that he will meet every, every one of our needs, that he will fulfill everything that we, we need at the time. And so remember that God is good. So anytime you feel like, hmm, I have this little temptation here, Hey, 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 God's good. He will provide what you need when you need it. You can trust that 100%. And I just want to close with this today. Matthew 4, 4. This is when Jesus is being tempted. This is how he responded. And I love it because we can learn from this. And this is just so key for every situation that we, we encounter that we're tempted by. And he says this in Matthew 4, 4. He says, it is written. He goes to the word of the Lord. And he says, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's saying man shall not live by the things that he needs alone or the things that he desires. Not just that alone. There's more to it. <laughs> Life is more than that, he says, but by every word that comes from the mouth of, of God. This is this. 
This is what we need. This is what will fulfill us, bring us that sense of, of fulfillment, satisfaction. It's so amazing to just be able to abide in the Lord and feel that sense of satisfaction. And so I urge you guys, um, go back, reread this, do a, diver, a deeper study on this because there's so much here. And, and this is just what the Lord brought to my heart today. And so with that, I'm going to invite you to just bow your heads and, and we'll close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you, Father, for your word today. Lord, I just ask that you would help us, Father. When we face these trials of temptation, that you would help us respond to them in a way that is so like you, in a way that we confidently respond to it because we know truth we are so certain of it there is no deception lord jesus there is no desire to sin father but our desire father that it may be for your word for your righteousness lord and so i ask father that you would continue to grow us challenge us mold us mature us that we would be more like you in jesus mighty name we pray amen